Hey guys, before we get started, I have a little secret for you. Come here. Did you know that we are on YouTube? That is right. You can watch these interviews live, uncut, by going to youtube.com forward slash Heather Parody. That is P-A-R-A-D-Y. I promise you it's another level watching these on YouTube. So again, find us over there by searching for Heather Parody or Unconventional Leaders. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. I literally flew home from Cancun, Mexico, never stripped another day. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time who I'd been cheating on, a beautiful girl, was abstinent for the next six years, cut off all my friends. All my friends were partiers, so I couldn't really hang out with them anymore because I knew that 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 would be trouble for me. And I literally was just like, didn't even know what to do with myself because... I was born with several falls. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. It's never too late to be who you might have been. That comes from today's guest, Rob Kowalski. And if this is your first time listening, what's up? My name is Heather Parody. I am your host. I'm sitting in my sister's closet right now. We are traveling for the holidays and I'm surrounded by my niece's gifts in here and a whole bunch of cute clothes for my sister because y'all know sisters be stealing clothes from each other. I don't care if you are in your 30s. We still play that game strong. Wherever you're at today, I hope you are feeling all kinds of love. Even if you're spending the holidays alone, your unconventional leaders community is sending you a huge virtual Christmas hug right now. But listen, you you didn't come here for a Christmas hug. You didn't come here to listen to Heather's sister's closet details, right? You saw that title, Male Stripper Turned Abstinence Advocate. You know, I was sitting here thinking, what would be the awesome Christmas episode to put up? Let's do the Male Stripper one. No, it just so happened to fall uh, for this week. And I'm like, you know what? This is going to be some good travel listening. This story's crazy. Rob said he grew up with a teenage mom dad out of the house, and he taught himself to be a man. And one of his major goals, even as a young man, was to become a male stripper. Well, guess what? He did. And then what happened? He said he met Jesus at the beach and had an encounter with him, and it completely changed his life. Now he travels all over, started an organization, and says he has facts and figures and proof that abstinence is the way to go. This is a crazy powerful story. Make sure you connect with Rob over at robkowalski.com. Also, his organization, City Fam, all of that is linked in the show notes. Before we get started, my family, you know UL is for the most part pretty family-friendly podcast. Every once in a while, I get a little upset and I might cuss here and there, but for the most part, it's family-friendly. But this episode, I will say if you're driving to grandma's house, you might not want to play this on the loudspeaker with all the children's and the cousins in the car. You might want to put on your earbuds, okay? I said, I gave you the warning. Use your own discretion, but we talk about some super sensitive subjects in this one. So uh, y'all be warned, okay? Let's go ahead and get into this male stripper turned abstinence advocate with Rob Kowalski. So my mom got pregnant with me very young. She was 14 when she got pregnant with me. My dad was never in the same state, didn't pay child support, so he didn't have visitation rights. So I didn't really see him very often. 
So I kind of grew up without a strong male role model and she worked a lot and I took care of myself from a young age. So I just really taught myself how to be a man and I kind of just learned it from watching television and movies. So my idea of what a man was, was a guy that was good with girls. From the time I was uh, a teenager, from the time I hit puberty, I, my whole goal in life was to be a male stripper. I actually found a video. Really? Yeah. I found a videotape that my mom had rented uh, with some of her friends and I didn't know what it was. I popped it in the VCR. And all of a sudden on the television were like the Chippendales or something. I don't remember who they were. But I remember like seeing these guys thinking, oh, wow, what better job can there be than to have women stick money in your pants? This has got to be the best job in the world. So I, I decided I wanted to be a male stripper. And, you know, not long after that, I became sexually active. I started working out. And when I was 19 years old, I went to work for one of the entertainment agencies in Baltimore. And over the next few years, I was working for all of them. And I was like the their most requested guy. I was in the phone book. I did some bodybuilding. So here I, I was pretty much a physical specimen, having all this casual sex, making a lot of money, very popular, but really started, started to see the, the consequences of the lifestyle, specifically in my relationships with women, where you know I would always have sex quickly. And one of two things would happen every single time. Either I would immediately lose interest, like, I mean, immediately. Like from the moment that I ejaculated, I would be over it or I would continue sleeping with some of them and then we would drift into a relationship, but it was never that good to the point where I was looking at other women, wondering if I could be happier with them, maybe looking at pornography, trying to fill a void, maybe cheating. I did that same pattern in a couple of relationships in my 20s. And I, I started to think, well, you know, even something must be wrong with me because I, I couldn't force myself to only have eyes for the, the girl that I was dating. And I wanted to be in love with them because some of them are great girls, but I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, force myself to do it. And I thought, well, maybe I'm the kind of guy that can't fall in love or maybe human beings aren't supposed to be monogamous. You hear people say things like that. All I knew was I, I, like I said, I couldn't make myself only have eyes for them. And I didn't know why. And I, until it was March of 2000, it was uh, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I was in Cancun, Mexico for spring break. And I heard God speak to me for the first time. Like I had never heard God's voice. I didn't think about God. Uh, you know, I, I liked being me, you know, I, I was, I was addicted to some things I knew I shouldn't be addicted to specifically drugs, you know, from being in that lifestyle. But for the most part, I liked the persona that I created for myself and it was easy, and, but I heard God speak to me and he basically was said, trust me, follow me. I have a plan for you. And then he kind of told me like, look, if you start doing relationships my way, you'll be able to find love. Can we press pause real quick? Absolutely. Yeah. I heard God speak to me. What does yeah. that mean? So for me, it wasn't normal, like how God communicated with me. Like if you're, if somebody's a Christian and they know the story about Paul on the road to Damascus, my story was very much like his, where I was like, it was a very dramatic experience where the Holy Spirit, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit for lack, that's what it's called. I didn't even know what happened to me. I just knew that God communicated with me. Out of I'm, nowhere. You weren't at a I church know, service. Nope. There was wasn't in, a nun there. Nothing was happening. Well, I was in spring break in Cancun partying like a rock star the night before, literally more like a porn star. I was, this is who I was. And then I woke up the next day and God, I got the, the Holy Spirit got poured out on me. It was like Neo in the matrix, you know, where he takes the red pill. And all of a sudden I was very aware that Jesus was who he said he was. And I had to make some hard changes in my life because I, up until then, my God was pleasure. And I, I was making a lot of money. I was the life of the party. And, you know, that was 
it, it was easy to be me. And on some levels, on some levels, it was hard to be me and my relationships and messes I got myself into. But that's a different story. You know, it was like I got red pilled and all of a sudden I had to try to figure out a new way to do life. You know, so I. How anybody, old were you? I was 27 at the time. Okay. I was running the nightlife in Baltimore. I was still stripping a little bit, but like I literally flew home from Cancun, Mexico, never stripped another day. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time who I'd been cheating on, a beautiful girl, was abstinent for the next six years, cut off all my friends. All my friends were partiers, so I couldn't really hang out with them anymore because I knew that, that that would be trouble for me. And I literally was just like, didn't even know what to do with myself because, you know, some people have to make changes if they find God or really any kind of spirituality, let's say. But for me, I had to change everything. It wasn't like some things I had to change my job. I had to change all my sources of fun, my friends, like everything had to change. It was difficult to say the least because I went out looking for like, okay, well, well there's got to be some people out here that are like me that I can relate to because I did not relate to church people at all. They were kind of weird to me. Like they were nice, but they were a little bit boring and weird, you know? And so I just, I, I looked for like a group of people and I, when I couldn't find them, I, I isolated. I thought, well, sooner or later, God's going to give me a wife and then I'll just kind of, you know, <laughs> get married and and that'll be that and I won't be lonely anymore and and it went the, this period lasted for 6 years and he did not send a wife and it was the worst time of my life and I eventually backslid is what they call it in Christianese where I just I couldn't do it anymore I I need I had to be around people so I went back to the bars cuz that's where the people were that I could relate to you know and and I started picking up my bad habits one by one started having sex again drinking too much eventually I was even using drugs and I just kind of ended up back to where I started. I rededicated my life in 2011. I went through the exact same period for about a year where I was sit, sit, sitting in every night, not knowing what to do with myself or who to do it with. And eventually I was like, this is a problem. Like it, I, I, I know this isn't a long-term solution. I have to figure, figure this out. So that's when I, I started organizing social and service events really just kind of to give myself something to look forward to and something to do on the weekends. But also what I noticed was I had friends, my old friends that I used to party with. I had been trying to get them to like church or recovery, you know, places like that, that had the help that I knew that they needed for 10 years. I tried to get them there and they wouldn't come. But when I promoted a social event, I noticed it was a lot easier for me to get them to like a bar. And I had friends from like recovery or from church that were bored and lonely like I was, and they were staying in every night. So when I got them to come out to the social environments and they met my, my old friends met them, then I started, they, my old friends started getting their shit together basically. Cause they, they started forming healthy relationships. So, you know, I was volunteering a lot at the time through the, the faith community that I'm part of, and I was really liking the way it made me feel. So I started organizing service events with no faith affiliation, you know, mind you, because I feel like that's a barrier to entry for people. And, uh, and I started noticing more people's lives changing. And through that, through those things, it, it ended up turning into the group that I, I founded called City Fam, really about like, hey, we want to become the best version of ourselves, but we also want to enjoy life. Because, you know, like for me, it was those two things were mutually exclusive. It was like when I was making good decisions, life was very boring. And then when I was going out enjoying life, you know, I was making bad decisions. Right. So it's like, why? They shouldn't have to be separate. You know, like, why can't we be the best version of ourselves and still, you know, achieve our long term or uh, still have fun in the process? So anyway, so I started basically, let me just wrap it up, put a nice bell on it. As I started the group, all of a sudden I had to, somewhere along the line, I really gained a real clear understanding of the concept of waiting. 
I did not understand it when I started. To me, it was it was a dumb idea. You know, marriage, even the idea of marriage, I was like, who in the hell came up with this? It had to be a woman, right? Like, why would I legally bind myself to somebody? So I didn't get it. But over time, I really started to understand it to the point where I felt like I might be able to explain this better than anybody in the world. Because I, I literally have lived at such polar ends of the spectrum when it comes to sex, probably more so than any human being that's ever lived, honestly. I made, I started writing a book about it called Why Waiting Works. And I wrote the book specifically because uh, I wanted opportunities to talk about CityFam. And I thought it will open some doors for me to talk about the organization. But I also wanted to explain the topic practically, not biblically, practically, because even even people in the church don't respond to don't have sex because it's a sin. Like they, why though? Tell me why. So as I was writing this book, I made a video called 10 Reasons Not to Have Sex Before Marriage. It became the number one video in the world on the subject. I think it's got like 1.7 million views on YouTube right now. You know, now all of a sudden people that watch it, I'm, because I mentioned City Fam in the video, people started reaching out to us from all over the world wanting to know, okay, we agree with you. That makes sense what you said. Now, how do we start one of those city, these City Fam things? Because, you know, we're bored also, you know, so now we have City Fams popping up all over the place. Like, I think we have 10 of them uh, just in the United States that are getting ready to start or starting. Rob, I don't even know where to begin with you. <laughs> Sorry. I know that was like a really long winded answer. There's so much there. First of all, when you at 19 years old, I believe you said, decided to go into the sex industry, what was your mother's kind of response to that? You know, she was all, she's been supportive of all of my decisions for the most part, but she, you got to remember, she was 34 years old. So she would actually come to my shows with her friends, her waitress friends. She just thought it was funny. You know, it, she wasn't, you know, there trying to hook up or anything. But she, you know, she was like, that's my son. She was proud of me. But I, we, I was never really raised in a Christian home. My grandmother was a Christian, but my mom was not really there. She's, she's more now, but, but she, wasn't, she wasn't then. There's, there's so much and this new idea that's coming out. And I, I don't know much about it. It's the kind of, lack of better terms, toxic purity culture, where there's a lot of people coming against purity culture saying, you know, this is liberation. And we, you know, there's been so much shame around sex and we don't talk about it. And I don't know if you've combated people kind of with that argument to it, but you living both sides of it. How do you see kind of those two worlds of not being ashamed and thinking it's sinful and horrible, but also to having some boundaries in place that are healthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the word says that in the end, people are going to call evil good and good evil, right? So like, there's people that are just going to say all kinds of things. It doesn't mean that they're right. What I would challenge people that disagree with me to say, is, look, I've done what you've done. You haven't done what I've done. Most people haven't done what I've done. So they're speculating. They're trying to give us their opinion on, oh, I think this is the way that it is. But they're wrong. Because hey, like, I can tell you for a fact that this is the way it's going to play out if you do it. And if you don't do it, and I got the numbers to back it up. My book is full of lots of lots of good research. It wasn't just my opinion. But if you look at just simply the numbers of, of like the divorce rate, you know, like 97% of people do not wait to have sex. Okay, so that's damn near everybody's not waiting. The divorce rate in this country is well documented. That it's about 50%. So if that's not scary enough, my question is what percentage of the other 50% that stay married are happy? Because I don't think it's that high. I think a lot of people stay together because of the kids or finances. And that's the consequence of not waiting is that you, your chances of being happily married are really slim because is bad. This is why it works. This is why marriage works. And I get it. Look, it sounds extreme to say, wait till marriage. I, I would have been like, thought you were crazy 20 years ago if you told me that. 
But as bad as I want the pleasure of sex, I equally don't want the pain of divorce. So it creates this perfect balance where I'm like, I weigh it before I get myself in something complicated. Now, if I was to say to you, like, then this is how I reframe the, the, the position for people is to say, hey, look, okay, no sex before marriage sounds extreme. How about I said, you know, hey, Heather, let's just say no sex before love. Does that sound fair? Most people go, yeah, well, I could get down with that. Because if you really think about it, sex before love, you're going to, that's a lot of possible problems, just unwanted pregnancies and all kinds of things, right? So let's just say no sex before love. Okay, that sounds reasonable. How do you know if you're in love? What I say is you'd be willing to marry that person because the, the Bible, let's go, you know, I know some people get offended when I even mention it, but the word says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So if that means your heart will trick you into believing things that aren't true in order to give your body what it wants. And we do this to ourselves every day. So if I said to you, hey, Heather, I, I'm in love with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Let's have sex. And you said, I love you too, Rob. Let's just run to the justice of the peace real quick and get married. I'd be like, oh, damn, let me think about this a little longer. Right? That's what that's the point. That's the whole point of marriage. Because it forces you to find out if your heart's telling you the truth before you get linked up with the wrong person and spend your whole damn life with the wrong person and miss your purpose. You know, we've all seen the old couple sitting at the diner that don't talk to each other. It's like, I don't ever want to be dumb. You know, we don't know how that relationship started. It probably started with them hooking up because that's what happens. There's a, there's a physical, biological uh, process, oxytocin. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with it, but it's a real hormone and it makes you stick to people. I mean, have you ever been in a bad relationship that you knew the other person wasn't right, but you still kept going back to them? I mean, I have. And it, it, it's because they're of oxytocin, it's biology. And if you look back at the first mention of, of monogamy in the Bible, it says, that's why a man will leave his father and mother and the two will cleave together and become one flesh. Cleave, when you look up the definition for cleave, it sounds a lot like oxytocin. It sounds like glue. And that's why when people get linked up, these soul ties are so hard to get out of that sometimes people spend their whole life with the wrong person. And they missed their purpose, I believe, because not only did they not harness their sexual energy to figure out what on earth that they're here for, but then they choose the wrong, wrong person that even if they know it, they can't help them get there because they need they were supposed to be with somebody else that had a different set of skills. I mean, there's there's so many practical benefits to it. But when, when I mentioned sex transmutation, I have to mention, like, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Right. A lot of people are under the false belief that Eve was created at the same time as Adam. And she was not. She was created after Adam wasn't given a wife. Adam was given a job first. So very first thing Adam got was a purpose. So he wasn't having sex and he had to name all the animals. And then Eve came along. And the very first words Adam said was finally exclamation point when he saw Eve. So there was a longing. There was you know, there was a, a process that Adam went through before he got to her. So men, I don't want to wait either. I hate freaking waiting. But I've known that in the last 10 years that I've I've harnessed sexual energy, I've written like three books. I started a nonprofit. I went on a couple like world tours. Like I've done some incredible shit with my life that there's no way I would have done if I'd been out there, you know, chasing tail. It is the right order. It just happens to be the really difficult way. And I believe that like when you don't put it in the right order, I love the saying by, uh, I think it's William David Thoreau. I forget the guy's name anyway, but he said, men live lives of quiet desperation. And I believe that's because every person, every man, every woman too, is created for a specific reason. And if they don't find it, 
it creates this gnawing sense like you know you're supposed to do something but you don't know what it is and you can't figure it out because you never harnessed your sexual energy you know long enough to help you redirect it towards figuring out what that purpose is and then choose the right person that can help you get there by mm -hmm. also choosing the right person by not being committed to not having sex before marriage which is again sounds crazy but i'm telling you you evaluate on a whole different level when you are committed to this because when you know you're going to choose one of anything you can't tell me you don't think about it more like if i said if you can only eat one food for the rest of your life heather what food would that be you're going to think about it a while now if i if i just said hey where do you want to go eat next you'd be like i don't care but the thing is is if you didn't if you just thought it was your next meal and not like one that you're going to eat for the rest of your life you're not going to evaluate that clear. You'd be like, I don't care. We could go to Chipotle. We could have pizza, whatever. It's a whole different level when you say I'm going to choose one person. You're really thinking through what do I want most? Not just what do I want right now? What do I want most? And it, it just changes the game. Let's go back to this encounter with God the first time. Sure. You hadn't done this research. You didn't have City Fam. You hadn't read these books, written these books, talked on these podcasts, all the things, developed the kind of passion that we just saw. Okay. You had just had this encounter with God. You may have not even had language around what you had experienced and were feeling when you came back home. What did you say to these people in your life? And how did you communicate what you were feeling inside? Not well, <laughs> like people, people just thought I was crazy. You know, I'm the guy that was walking around with my shirt off and, a, you know, with a bunch of strippers in the club. The, you know, the week before. And then I came back from Cancun and I literally was trying to tell him to tell him about Jesus. Yeah. I was trying to like evangelize him so that it didn't go over. It didn't go over. Well, it's all, I, I look back at it. Like, you know, I had this Moses complex. If you know the story of Moses, when he sensed the call of God on his life, he went out and he killed the Egyptian, right? He tried to take matters into his own hands. And I think that that's kind of like, I did my version of that where I you know, I thought, okay, God, you know, I'm the leader of the pack. You must want me to bring everybody to you. That's what I thought. So I went out and tried to like tell all my friends about Jesus. And it just came off really weird, <laughs> you know, and awkward. But no, I did not. I did not have the language or anything. I did not have any understanding of, of the concept of waiting. Uh, you know, I often say- What did you feel? I just, I don't- So God, told me, God told me about the, a specific girl. He oh. said, so there was a girl that had lived in Baltimore- and had moved to California a year earlier. And he basically said, look, this is your, this is your person. And I, I don't know, like, so I never, I never linked up with that girl. So either I assumed that I was going to marry her because he didn't say I was going to marry. He said, this is your person. And he gave me very clear signs about it. So selfishly, I waited for her because if not, I would have done what every other Christian does is I would have had very good intentions to wait. But then I would have dated out of loneliness about within about two or three weeks because I got very lonely when I cut off all my friends. And then I would have been having sex because I didn't have I didn't know any other way to date. You know, that was the only the only thing I knew was to have sex quickly. But because I was waiting for a girl that was 3000 miles away that I had zero contact with, I I had to wait. And I then it became like, OK, I got to find a community because I got to find something to do on the weekends. And when I couldn't find it, like I, I felt the pain of how hard life is without it, which is what birthed in me this passion to start City Fam. Because I'm like, look, I realize why opioid addicts return to their drugs, or that there's a loneliness epidemic, or you know, even Christians in the church are having sex. I understand the problem. I, I see it, and I, 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 I've lived it, and I believe I have a solution to it. 
uh, I would have never known those things if I had not been focused on waiting for one girl, you know, because I would have just did what everybody else does. I would have dated out of loneliness and I would have been having sex and I probably would have married the wrong person because of it. Where does all this passion come from, though? Because you can leave that lifestyle, go to church, be a Christian now, do your thing, but you don't have to do all of this. And right. the intensity of your passion, I know, was like placed there because yeah. that's not something you can just think up. Why you? Why are you so passionate about this? Jeez, there's a couple things. One, because so G Jesus basically said, and you know, those forgiven much, love much. You know, when the woman was crying, washing his feet with her hair. So like, I've been forgiven a lot. I was bad. I was a bad guy and did a lot of bad things. And, and I've shown a lot of mercy. So there's that. But also, and I know this isn't a Christian podcast, but, uh, you know, I'd have to mention it is I firmly believe to my core that Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. We're going to see it. You and I will see the rapture and all that. And that scares the shit out of me because that means that some people aren't going to make it, you know, and they're going to have to live through the second half of the tribulation. And so all that you know, scares me to the point where I'm like, I have, I want to work as hard as possible to make sure as many of the people that I care about are there in the same way. When I used to promote a nightclub, you know, I, I wanted all my friends to be there. I wanted to walk in and see everybody. And that's what I wanted to be like when I get to heaven as I want to see a, a bunch of the people that I love there, because if not for me, then whatever, I don't even care why they're there to be honest. But it, it, I, I know that I have to pour my life out towards that end because I do believe that it's coming. What's something that you have now that you didn't have back then? Not externally, internally. How are you different? Fulfillment. That was the one thing that I like. I there were times in my life I was very happy. Like because I mean when you're when you're living that way, there's always these moments of happiness. You know, sex and money and you're fun and you know like there's a lot of moments now where I can't say that I'm happy in the moment. You know, like it's hard. It's discipline. It's getting up early. It's working all day, grinding. But when I look in the mirror, I feel very fulfilled. I know that like I am the best version of myself and it feels good. I know that I'm a positive influence. I didn't have that before. When I looked in the mirror, I did not like the person that I saw looking back. You know, I, I felt empty. I knew I could be doing something better. I wanted to make a positive contribution to society, but I couldn't get over my own weaknesses and my own sin, you know? So I'd say fulfillment. What do you say to people who say they feel fulfilled living that lifestyle, maybe as a sex worker in the industry? And this is something that does bring me happiness and joy. Well, I think it, I, but here's the thing. Happiness, happiness and fulfillment are on opposite ends of the spectrum. I don't believe that happiness and fulfillment are the same at all. So I think fulfillment comes when you add value to the world, you know, or to other people's lives. So I would challenge people that say they're they're not adding value, but they feel fulfilled. I don't see how that's possible. We have so many different leaders from around the world listening, and they have their own passionate thing, whatever it may be, of their message and the way that they're trying to deliver it to the world. And you said something so powerful a moment ago about community and isolation and sometimes going against the grain and being unconventional in your message. It sounds cool. You might get, you know, a million hits on your YouTube channel because people are what the hell is talking about. <laughs> but the truth is sometimes it can, like you said, it can be very, um, it can be very lonely. It can be very hard and staying your ground with something that you truly are convicted about and fulfilling that calling that is on your life. What have you learned over the past several years and what words of encouragement do you have to these leaders who are listening, who have their own message, their own calling, 
and maybe feel discouraged right now, maybe second guessing themselves? Yeah. I always say feelings aren't facts. Number one, that's the, you know, you have to realize just because you're feeling a certain way doesn't mean that it's true, you know, or, or that it's backed up by anything. Cause it, it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me to get to the point where, you know, depression, loneliness, just, and then you feel good and then you back down. And, it, you know, I, I compare it sometimes to like when I, I competed in bodybuilding in my early twenties, as I mentioned, and you just had to do the work every day. You had to get up and you had to do your cardio at 6 a.m. and you had to eat the broccoli and the chicken, whether you felt like it or not. You know, if you followed the program, you got, to the place you needed to go. So I would just say like, don't stop on six, you know, there's a message I love by Stephen Furtick where, you know, the, the Israelites were taught, told to walk around Jericho seven times. And, and then on the seventh time, the wall felt like, imagine if they would have stopped on the sixth lap, you know, like you have to keep going and trust that if you feel it in your gut, you know, like I, I have peace about everything I'm doing. There's definitely times where I look around and I'm like, it doesn't look like it's working and not at the level that I thought it would. But I know that in my my gut, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. So I just have to trust the process and just continue walking. Believe that the breakthrough is coming. You know, I, I go back to a lot. I, I use the word a lot where because it, it's God's promises. And he says, Let, don't become weary and well-doing, you know, for at the proper time, you reap a harvest if you don't give up. We don't know when that is, you know, like I damn sure wouldn't have thought it was going to be 20 years. I also know that I'm, the things that I'm working on are so far bigger and better than anything I would have ever dreamt for myself before. So, you know, I, I just believe that God's in it, you know, and, and he knows when it's going to happen. And even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't work out the way that I think it's going to, I will go to my grave knowing that I gave my all. And that is a, a peace of mind. I think the number one regret of the dying by Bronnie Ware's book was not having the courage to live a life true to themselves. I will not have that regret. One of the things we've been asking guests lately is this idea of an unsung hero. So a lot of times when we think of making an impact and a difference in this world, we think of these influencers, these rich CEOs, these famous people. And out of the hundreds of interviews I've had, every time I ask about impact and who made a difference in your life, it was always usually this teacher, this stranger on the street, someone who you would never know of. But there was a moment that they really either spoke into your life or did something for you that completely just changed you, right? So if you were to look back over, over your life and say that there was a, a moment, a person who would be your unsung hero, who would that be? Uh, there's a woman named Lori Lockamy. She's uh, my life coach and she's actually involved in City Fam. So 10 years ago when I rededicated my life, she started meeting with me and she asked me the right questions and she helped me take the answers and put them into the form of a vision statement. It was real. That was a start because I, when I, when I heard her read it to me, she, she read it in like the, she put it into like the form of a story. Like you wake up every day and you, and she read it to me. She had me close my eyes. And I, I said to her, I said, if it, if it's even possible that I could get to that place, I'll change anything. Wow. And she said, you can do it. You just got to work. And then she supported me. You know, she believed in me and she, it was a crazy vision statement. It's big. And, you know, city fam was part of it before it had a name. She spoke life into me and she just saw, she saw, help me believe, I guess, in myself. Cause I, I, up until then I thought they were just kind of crazy ideas, but she helped me believe in myself. And then she supported me heavily along the way and still supports me to this day. So I would say Lori Lockamy. She's she's an amazing woman. I love that. My very favorite question is up next. But before we get to that, I just first of all want to thank you for your time, your generosity, the example that you're 
uh, setting in this world of using your experience and something that could have destroyed you and using it as a platform to impact and help so many people's lives. And I know sometimes it may be feel thankless, but uh, you are making a difference in this world, Rob, and super honored to meet you. Where can people pick up your books, learn about City Fam, and like I love to say, stalk you online because we will have that. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. But yeah, I'm doing a, a free book giveaway now where you can go to whywaitingworks.net and you get a free copy of the book. You also get uh, the study guide. I have a, a small group curriculum that goes with it and I have videos for each week. Um, you get all that for free, just pay for shipping and handling. And then if you want to know more about CityFam, you can just go to CityFam.com. We have a process uh, where we're, you know, showing showing people how to bring it to their part of the world. And we have some people that just get involved uh, with it from a distance where they're just, you know, plug in virtually. We have a virtual events, but, you know, obviously in-person communities a lot better. So CityFam.com. And then you can find me at Rob B. Kowalski uh, on Instagram, Facebook. Oh, RobBKowalski.com. You can go cool. to my website. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All that will be linked in the show notes. Very last question. I love this story. I can see it. I can see it of this man, this young man who's parting it up, having a good old time. And then, as you said, was just disrupted with an encounter with God. And like we mentioned, you didn't have the language that you have now. You didn't have the understanding, the research, the experience to back it up. But you had a strong conviction in you that something needed to change. And it was time for some serious choices to be made. And you might have been scared, probably a little confused. And if That's you were to go back and sit with that young man and tell him one thing that you know deeply now that he did not know back then, what would that be? Wow. I mean, back then, I guess... When God called me, I was confused by it because I'm like, I'm the least religious person that I know. And I did not see really any value that I brought to the table for God, right? Like I was, the whole thing confused me. Like you said, confused. I was very confused. And I, I felt like I was hanging by a thread. But I guess what I would say is like, it's never too late to be who you might have been, you know, regardless of what you think about yourself. And you you know, God doesn't think that way about you. You have to get into agreement with what he says about you and what he thinks about you. And he can redeem anything, any mess. The thing that you think disqualifies you, because that's what I would have assumed. I would assume like all these girls I had sex with uh, has to disqualify me from ever being of use to, to God. It's actually just not true. He'll take that very thing and he'll, he'll use that to m write the most amazing story if you let him. All right, y'all. All right, y'all. What do you think about that one? Crazy, crazy, crazy story. Loved how passionate this man was. Make sure you connect with Rob. Again, robkowalski.com. Also, cityfam.com. All that is linked in the show notes. I will say one of my favorite parts that I'm super interested in, maybe we should have an episode on it, is he kept talking about harnessing sexual energy to be productive. I think that sounds like a very good podcast episode. What do y'all think? Send me a text. I want to hear your thoughts on today's interview, as well as maybe future topics that you would like to hear about. All you have to do is text us at 501-214-4307. Again, that is 501-214-4307. We love you so much. We're in your corner. See you soon. <laughs>